We're continuing our series through the book of Mark, where the whole premise is to encounter Jesus, listen to him, and then respond to him. And each and every week, we're looking at a passage of scripture where Mark is going to put people in our path who, who encounter Jesus and then respond to him. And today's teaching text is no different. So in today's teaching text here in Mark chapter 1, we're going to look at a significant time, a summary of Jesus' message, and an example of the response to that message. So where we pick ourselves up in the story, it's been about 18 months since Jesus' baptism. Last week we looked at, at Jesus' baptism and some words that the Father spoke to Jesus at that baptism. So some time has passed. Jesus has come under the banner of, of John the Baptist, been spending time with people. And so we pick up, or what Mark gives us, is a little bit later in the story, specifically as he notes, it's when John the Baptist is thrown in prison that then we get to see Jesus' ministry. So Mark is far less concerned with, with detailing every single chronological account. And he's more concerned with pivotal moments in time which people encounter Jesus and then respond to him. And so Mark is going to give us one of those moments during our passage today, in which time seems to stand still. Now, we encounter this type of thinking every day on both our news feed and on the news, except for it's in reverse. What is given to us is supposed to cause us to push aside everything else and draw our attention to a singular story or post. Down, we are drawn to our phones and to our TVs. And what is put in front of us is constantly updated until it achieves its mission. And we ask, well, where did time go? Because we're so drawn in. And so in a minute we think, oh yeah, I I'm just scrolling. And before we know it, five minutes, 20 minutes, an hour has passed. We get caught up in something because of the urgency, because of, of the constant update. Mark, in contrast, presents a singular story that is not updated and remains constant. And its aim is not to draw us down, distancing ourselves from our surroundings. Instead, its aim is to direct us up and send us out fully aware of our surroundings. Instead of saying, where did time go? Prompting us to say, it's go time. The baptism of Jesus by John and the rest of John were milestones by which the early church demarcated the commencement of Jesus' public ministry. The rest of John and the beginning of Jesus' ministry are intentionally correlated to show that the good news of Jesus, what he is doing in history, in the world, and the good news of the gospel is proclaimed and is known in adversity and suffering, not simply in ease and comfort. Mark says that Jesus went about speaking or preaching the gospel. Some translations say good news. This good news, this gospel, this, this word is an announcement of something that has happened in history. Something that's been done for you that changes your status forever. It's an announcement, it's news that changes your status 
Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross, says the, ens- the essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news. Other religions say this is what you have to do in order to connect to God forever. This is how you have to live in order to earn your way to God. But the gospel says this is what has been done in history. This is how Jesus lived and died, to earn the way to God for you. Christianity is completely different. It's joyful news, not merely good advice. Because how do you feel when you're given good advice on how to live? Someone may say, here's the love you ought to have, or the integrity you ought to have. Here's what you should do. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what you ought to do. And maybe they even give you a good little moral story that says, here's what this even looks like to try to inspire you. But when you hear it, how does it make you feel? Maybe you caught that inspiration. Sure. But do you feel the way the listeners who heard those heralds felt when victory was announced, that their status has been changed? Do you feel that the burdens have fallen off? Do you feel as if something great has been done for you and you're not a slave anymore? Of course you don't. When you hear advice, it weighs you down. Because you hear, this is how I have to live. This is how I'm supposed to live. This is how I should live. And it's not a gospel. It's not good news. The gospel is that God connects you not on the basis of what you've done or haven't done, but on the basis of what Jesus has done in history for you. And that makes it absolutely different from every other religion or philosophy. It's not good advice that says this is the moral standard that that, that prompts you in that way. It says, no, your status has been changed forever. And it's news. And it brings freedom and hope. It it reframes the way you look at life. Because rather than trying to earn that status, you're a recipient of it. And you live in response to that news. What is this message, this news, that Jesus is sharing to the group of people? His message appears in verse 15. It says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe this good news. Now we're going to have a little fun today. So we're, we're going to learn some language. So I know you, you all showed up this morning ready to learn just a new language and learn some Greek with me. I don't do this often, but I think it's important to understand and, and how, what Jesus wants us to do in terms of our understanding of time. There are two ancient Greek words that can be translated time. One is chronos, meaning simple chronological time, something that happens after another. The other is kairos, meaning the strategic opportunity, the decisive time. Jesus used this second word when he said the time is fulfilled. His idea was, this is the strategic time for the kingdom of God. That kingdom of God is now. Now is your time of opportunity. Don't let it pass you by. See, in Kairos moments, the rules of Kronos' time seem suspended. In moments 
where God breaks into our world and says, I am near. I am doing a work. I want your attention. I want your affection. I am changing something about the way in which you live. We can't help but feel as if time has stopped when we encounter the real living God. Mike Breen, in Building a Discipling Culture, says it this way, Kairos is when the eternal God breaks into your circumstance with an event that gathers some loose ends of your life and knots them together in His hands. See, God is fully aware of your circumstances. He's fully aware of your situation. And it's not that He leaves you alone. He leaves you isolated. No, He steps into that. And that's what this announcement that Jesus is saying is He is fully aware of what is happening. What their circumstances, their situations, and steps into that and draws near and says, I am altering reality. This is the message that, that Jesus is proclaiming, and we are also recipients of that message. The message that says the kingdom of God, the way in which you have been waiting for, has come near, is at hand. And so the people, they're thinking in terms of a physical reality. So that's why Jesus uses this term kingdom. But Jesus wants you to understand how you're invited into a new way of living. One that is not defined by the update, but by the inbreak of God into your moments so that time does not pass you by. And to do this, to get our attention so that we can orient ourselves and step into this new reality, he uses two words. Repent and believe. All right, we're, we're going to have a little audience participation time, so say repent. Repent, there we go. Okay, let's say it again. Say repent. There we go. Repent. See, people could not enter the kingdom of God going the same way they had been going. They had to repent, which means they had to change their direction to experience God's fullness. Some people think that repentance is mostly about feelings, especially about feeling sorry for your sin. Now, it's wonderful to feel sorry for your sin, to feel sorry when you miss the mark, when you you don't measure up, but repent isn't a feelings word. It's an action word. Jesus told us to make a change of mind, not merely to feel sorry for what we have done. Repentance speaks of a change of direction. Repentance does not describe something we must do before we come to God. It describes what coming to God is like. Now say the second word with me. Say believe. Believe. These are words that are not at odds with one another. You do one and the other. They they are simultaneous, and, and I'll mix those together here in a moment. When Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom of God, he wanted people to know that it was about trusting God, taking him at his word, and living a relationship of dependence on him. Here's what I mean by that. When we tie this repent and believe together, I got a stool here, and I think this stool exists. I think it exists. It's another thing for me to look at this stool and go, yeah, I think it'll also hold me. Yeah, it exists. It holds me. It's another thing entirely for me to go, I can actually sit in it. I believe it's here, and I'm sitting in it now. You, you know the difference between, like, uh, you know, sitting in it and believing that you can sit in it. And then it's another thing entirely for me to go, I'm actually going to put my full weight on it and believe that it will actually hold me. 
See, when Jesus says repent and believe, it means we're going from a place of standing on our two feet, trusting our feet, versus trusting that God will hold us, that he will sustain us, that we can put our full weight into him. It's an, it's a, and you, you guys have done this before, because how easily we forget. You know, we try to do the like, okay, well, I think it's there. God, I think I trust you. you I, I kind of trust you. I know you've told me that you love me, that I'm supposed to believe in you. So I'm going to kind of like sit, you know, like one chase, just, just to be sure. And then you get a quad workout because you're trying to, you know, put, put all this weight on this other leg, but not really sit in the chair. See, when Jesus shows up on the scene and he he announces to people, the good news is you don't have to stand on your own anymore. I am showing you how to live in the world. It's it's to go from repentance to belief to, to, to put these two together is to put your full weight and trust into God's will and God's way. And see, to put your full weight into Jesus means that you're choosing not to stand on your own two feet. You're choosing to trust him. See, and it, it, I, I, can't, I can't repent and believe with, without getting off of my own two feet and putting my weight into Jesus. I've got to put my full weight into this metaphorical chair. And we must do that over and over and over again. It's not just a one-time thing because, like I said last week, is, is we can be a little forgetful. And my challenge last week was to tell you to set an alarm at 1-11 every single day and repeat some words that you are God's loved child and he is well pleased in you. We will see we're forgetful because we forget that God loves us, that he cares for us, that he is pleased with us, not because we can stand on our own two feet, but because we've put the weight of our life into him. And how we think about our finances, how we think about our career, how we think about relationships, how we think about politics and sex. And we think about every area of our life again and again to return, to put our weight into who he is and what he has done for us, his way of living. We lean not on our own understanding, but on his understanding. And see where, like I said, we're, we're forgetful. Because see, if we don't rest in who the Father says that we are, we will always be chasing after something. Trying to put our weight into something else. Into relationships, into the career, into dreams, into goals. And ultimately, everything else will buckle under the weight of our trust and dependence on them. They will not last. They will, the legs will be swept out. The chair will fall. The only thing that sustains is God. He's the only constant, which is why I said we must live by the inbreak of God into our left, recognizing that he wants to break into our moments and not live for that update, or we'll constantly chase after things that don't ultimately matter. So let me give you a quick tool to help you put weight into the right chair. Because so times as, as we say, okay, Kyle, I'm hearing you say repent and believe, to trust and obey, to, 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 to do that. But how do, how do I do that when it comes to my finances? How do I do that when it comes to my relationships? How, how do I do that? Well, this is a simple tool that, that will tie this repent and belief together with some tangible action steps so that you can not experience just an okay life, but one that truly experiences God breaking into your circumstances. 
So the first part of this repent is, as you observe, you, you take stock of where you're at. Then you, then you reflect. You reflect on what God's word says. You return to him. And you, and you notice the difference between maybe your perspective and God's perspective. And then you discuss that with someone else. You invite others in and you share that with someone else. This is why community groups for us are so important. Because you've got to talk about what God is doing. What it looks like to align yourself with him with others. Well, that's not just the first half of the circle. There's a second half. Let's go ahead and pull that second half up. Next thing is you make a plan. Once you've observed where you're at, you reflect on God's word, and and you share that with someone else, you you make a plan. You decide, this is what I'm going to do the next time I face that choice. That's what that little X is on the top up there. That's that moment of chooses. Are you going to lean on your own perspective or God's perspective? So as you come to that moment, you, you observe, you reflect, discuss, you set a plan. You invite those who you've shared this with to hold you accountable, to say, this is what I aim to do in my response to who God is and what he has done. And then you act. And when we string that together again and again, this is not something that we go enter that circle just once. But we do it again and again, almost like a slinky if I was to stretch that out. You go again and again and again. And you keep going. Because what happens for many of us, I like you, is we get to that moment and we want to go halfway through the circle. And we don't actually choose to act on it. We say, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't actually do it. Or we do part of the perspective. And we, we get back to that choice into that moment. And instead of obeying God, responding to him and what he has done, we actually bounce back. But when we enter that circle, when we repent and believe every time we face a choice, we don't simply bounce back. We actually experience breakthrough. And I think all of us want some breakthrough in our life, whether it's just hopes, dreams, relationships, finances. And so, so, so we do that. We repent and believe. And from this place, Jesus approaches four fishermen exactly where they're at, out on the boats, out on the shore, doing what they do. See, this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus pursues you where you're at. He doesn't, he doesn't leave it for you to, to, to necessarily step into his world. He steps into yours. And this is what he says. He says, follow me. Jesus calls these, these men to follow him. And it's unique in the Jewish tradition. Because see, peop- pupils choose rabbis. Rabbis do not choose pupils. Those who wish to learn sought out a rabbi and say, I want to study with you. But in this case, Jesus seeks out them. He is unparalleled from any rabbi, any good moral teacher. You know, so oftentimes we seek out information, we seek out truth, but in this case, as in does Jesus again and again, he does not wait at a distance. He steps into your life. He seeks you out. Mark is showing us that Jesus has a different type of authority than just any regular rabbis. Jesus is the subject of the call. This is what's primary. He says, follow me. And the natural result of following Jesus is that he uses their experience for what they're doing. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, they're fishermen, so they understand that they are 
catching fish. Now, we got some people around here who like to fish. They could tell you a thing, too, about what it is to catch some fish, to go after some fish. I am not one of them. So, so when I look at, and I listen to this, what I have to translate it into what does that really mean? What it means is that as we follow Jesus, we can't help but invite others, go after others, to help others follow him. Using whatever skills, talents, and abilities you have, our natural followership of Jesus, Jesus will make us people that pursue others, just like Jesus has pursued these guys. And what's so amazing about this story is as Jesus invites them to follow him, and says, I'm going to make you. You don't, you don't have to know how to do it already. You don't, you don't have to have all the wisdom. You don't, you don't have to be super. You can be ordinary, unschooled men. All I'm asking you to do is simply follow. That same response is for you today. You don't have to know how it's all going to work out. You don't, you don't have to have all the knowledge in the world. Will you follow because at this point, there's no supporting evidence accompanying Jesus' call. There's no miracles or debate or moral persuasions. For Mark, the act of following Jesus entails a risk of faith. And faith must be an act before it is the content of belief. See, only as Jesus followed can he be known. We truly get to know Jesus when we begin to put our full weight into him. Some of you are tired of standing on your own two feet this morning. You're weary. You're worn out. You've been trying to do it all on your own, and you're not finding the type of success that you would hope for. You're not, you're not seeing the type of results that you've wanted. And I think for many of us, it's because maybe we, we feel like we're putting our weight under Jesus, but we've got kind of one foot on the ground. And today... My invitation is simply this. Stop trying to live life on your own two feet and start putting your full weight into Jesus. Allow him to carry you. The result is exactly what happens in this story. People encounter a living and powerful Savior. And people will respond to the good news of Jesus. And in fact, you will get to experience what it's like to be well-rested. And not, that's not an excuse for inaction, but it's ultimately a, a reason for action. To rest and to trust in Jesus, to allow God to do through you. But first, He wants to do something in you. So the primary call is to follow. And out of that, you will impact those around you. That's what the grand vision is, isn't it? To see a group of people come together from all different backgrounds and walks of life, who, who don't fully understand what it looks like to put their weight and trust in Jesus, but to do so together. To see the result of news shared is not just some nameless and faceless mass, but a community of individuals whose names are known because they know Jesus. The community that Jesus is forming here is one that shares stories, pursues life together to be the family of God, 
wherever we go and wherever we find ourselves. And so for those of you who are tired of standing alone, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond at the end of this message. And I just simply ask that you be open to what Jesus wants to do in your life. And if you're someone who, who feels like you've been putting your weight into Jesus, and, and you've been trying, and, and you're growing weary, and you're tired again and again, remember that our impact does not come because we try harder or do more. Our impact is, comes because we remember who we are following and what He says about you. So this week, if you need to do that exercise again, set an alarm or a reminder at 111 every day to let, so that you can remind yourself that you are God's child and He is well pleased with you. And watch as you allow that to impact every aspect of your life that people will go, will become followers of Him. Let's pray. God, you are good. I'm thankful that you love us, that you haven't forgotten about us. God, I, I think about God, just sometimes all the things that we just want to go right, that we want to go a certain way. God, would you just still our heart, quiet our mind, and remember and remind us the way we need to go is not our own way, but is your way. Thank you for sending us Jesus to give us an example. Thank you for being patient with us. God, we, we want to grow in our trust of you. Help us, show us, direct us. Thank you for your love and for your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray.